Hi there, listener, and welcome to episode 69 of the Ski Podcast. Uh, Firstly, as always, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for their support. I literally couldn't produce these shows without them, so thank you very much. Uh, And listener, if you're looking for ways to get through what's left of lockdown, we're ticking down the uh, days, but we do have over 100 episodes uh, uh, to listen to. And I can tell you that I had a quick look, and in the last week, 93 of them have had listens. So uh, you may be one of those listeners who's going through our back catalogue, there's plenty there to keep your mind busy and thinking about skiing. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be hearing uh, from the boss of one of the UK's largest ski companies about how they've been dealing with this season. We've got a resort report from Murren. And uh, I think this is really interesting, an insight into how you can become a, a pisteur or ski patroller in France. Uh, but let me start by introducing my uh, guest today, which is uh, Steffi Dykman from Teen, Sales and Marketing Manager in Teen. Hi, Steffi. How are you today? Hi, Ian. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Sun's shining, so all good. Yeah, I was looking at the webcams earlier. It looks like a gorgeous day uh, in the Alps today. Um, traditionally, uh, this is your chance to make us uh, jealous. I'm going to uh, start off by asking you, when did you last ski or, or snowboard last? Right. Sorry, everyone. Indeed, I don't want to make you jealous, but I actually went for a little lunchtime ski tour yesterday. Absolutely fantastic. Now, um, last time I actually went skiing with some ski lifts involved was last July on our glacier for summer skiing and where the conditions were absolutely fantastic as well. Right. OK. Yeah, of course. I'd well, we're going to come on to talking about summer skiing, but tell me how the ski touring is and what the uh, snow conditions are like. Whereabouts would you do your ski touring in Teen just now? Um, well, so um, we've developed, because obviously Teen is very much known for its alpine skiing and not necessarily for ski touring, even though obviously off-piste conditions um, are always uh, always great in Teen. Um, but um, because, because of the whole COVID situation, we obviously had to rethink our model and um, we've developed about 20, 25 kilometers of ski touring slopes. So ski touring or obviously speedboarding, or you can also, well, we've seen the most creative creatures walking up these slopes with skis um, packed behind their back or sliding behind their 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 legs on the snow it's absolutely uh, hilarious to see but obviously also uh, also very comforting to know that um that there's lots of people that really want to get their turns in. Um, beginning of the season, we had lots of uh, lots of snow, so conditions were absolutely fantastic. As you mentioned earlier on, we've got um, um, well, we've got a bluebird today, and it has been like this for the last ten days, and it will stay like this for the la- for the coming week. Um, sorry, guys, if you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, conditions are great. I mean, obviously, obviously, nothing is as it's supposed to be. But we're just making the most of it. Yeah. OK, well, I mean, let's have a little talk in more detail about about team then. So there are areas that are so there are some pieces that have been have been bashed, have been damé specifically for tourists to ski on. Yeah, absolutely. Because obviously, well, during the autumn last year, um, we were still expecting to have a season with ski lifts. But when it became clear that this wasn't going to be the case, we obviously had to, well, we had to develop our ski touring um, product in order to correctly receive our guests and to make sure that they are safe on the areas that we indicate that they can go to in a safe way. So that's why we've created these itineraries. Um, For anybody who knows Team, basically we've secured the tour du lac 
which means that you can ski tour in between Tindalak and then go up Palafour, go down towards Valkarae, go back up on Tovier side of things and ski back down into the lac. So you can make a whole little round of it. And on top of that, we've also secured um, some runs going down to the villages of Was and Brevier. And the bus service is running as well. Right. So people can okay. then take the bus back up. So, I mean, okay. so, so can I ask the snow down to Brevier is good all the way down to there, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, cool. Remind um, me what the altitude is in Brevier. Brevier is at 1,500. Yeah. Um, and then Lalak is at 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, so that's, you could therefore, could you, what's your single vertical descent that you could do in one run then? That's quite a drop. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, if you go up from Lac to Igby-Percé, that means you can have like nearly, nearly a thousand meters, nearly a thousand yeah. meters. No, that, I mean, you know, that is great. And and in relation to, you mentioned the uh, buses there, in the last episode, we talked a little bit about some of the issues they've had in Meribel, where, and if you followed this, but the, you know, the commune, mm -hmm. it struck me that they sort of panicked a little bit about the fact that quite evidently people will get on a bus with their skis if it can take them higher and let them, mm -hmm. you know, ski down. But skiers have been, you know, getting on buses because if you go down to Brevier, then you're taking the bus back again. Are there kind of measures in in place uh, there to thin out the crowd or anything? Yeah, of course. I mean, social distancing is important also in the buses, of course. Um, we've never really promoted it like uh, Courchevel and Maribel have. So um, we have indeed followed the bad buzz that has come from that. And uh, and luckily, um, well, we never made a product out of it. We never tried to recruit any new skiers or new guests of it. It's just also a service that has to be in place because if you're staying in WAS and you want to go up to Lac because you need to go, well, because you've booked in an ice diving, um, uh, well, an ice diving or um, a husky ride, you obviously need to get up there and also so seasonal workers that live down in Bois need to get up. So it's more, um, it's always been in place. And obviously there's people who use it to not ski tour all the way back up to Lac. But I wouldn't say that it's overly crowded. In yeah, the I think, you know, in Maribel, they got themselves into right tangle because, you know, they decided, oh, well, there's too many people getting on. So they cut the service down. But then people who booked, you know, as you were saying, in apartments or who were wanting to do activities elsewhere couldn't literally get there unless they drove in their car, which is what Courcheval were being criticised for by, you know, saying to people or allegedly, you know, suggesting that people could drive and that's bad for the environment, etc. But I think the nature of teen is it's much more spread out you know you talk about brevier down there at, at 1500 meters up to uh, val claret which is 2100 is that right yeah that's correct yeah, yeah. so spread out across a, a lot of areas now you mentioned you know people have been doing husky riding and and other activities i i I saw a really interesting kind of graphic earlier this week, which I tweeted on Skipedia, which was a survey by a consultancy called G2A, I think. And they were looking at the activities that people have been doing. And hiking was uh, was top. Um, but then also snowshoeing was, I think, second on that list. And been a bunch of people snowshoeing around team. And it's not, yeah. not something I've ever tried, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh well, you should because it's uh, it's absolutely fantastic, and 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 especially if you if you go a little away from uh, from from normal ski areas because you can get, see loads of loads of animals, and it's uh, it's just uh, just stunning. Um, so I can only recommend it. But um, yes, of course. I mean, um, as I mentioned before, and as everybody knows, uh, Teen and any other resort are not made just for ski touring. So that means that the shops uh, only have limited amount of stocks of ski touring uh, skis, etc. Um, so in Teen, we have thirty thousand uh, beds to fill up every single night. Um, and if you look at the, uh, the skis, the touring skis that are available, there's only 600, 650 pairs of ski tours, um, available in the shops, which obviously means that even though we're not at all at hundred percent occupancy, um, but even if it's like a couple of thousand people coming out, there's not enough material for them to all go ski towing um so lots of people have also turned into snowshoeing also because it's a lot simpler isn't it i mean ski touring if you've never done it it does look a little bit complicated um even though it's not really but it does look complicated um so yeah lots of people have also um been turning into um snowshoeing and also um, um skating nordic skiing that's been yeah. really popular um, and luckily, we've got um, uh, 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 quite a large range of other activities that already existed in Teen, but obviously that were not very familiar by anyone. And um, and they are now just obviously extremely requested, like yeah. the ice diving and anything else. Really, the ice diving is has been really popular. That one, I, I've always felt that must apply to a real minority of people. That's in that's in lack, literally the lack, is it? Yeah, 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 it is in Lack, and because the lake is right there, it's very accessible for everyone. And um, for anybody who knows Team, you can walk across the lake in the winter and you can actually walk up to the ice diving site and see what's going on. Um, now, um, when you go ice diving, you just wear um, um, a dry suit, so you're not getting wet. Um, and down the ice, I mean, there's no sharks, there's no um, scary <laughs> things, there's just ice. And you don't dive really deep, do you? You just stay just below the surface just to see the ice formations, the light, the light that shines through the ice, etc. It's absolutely brilliant. And you're obviously also, um, um, always um, surrounded by um, by a uh, by an instructor, so you're completely safe. So yeah, it has been it has been very popular. I was actually wandering by the site yesterday and they were telling me they had like 30 people diving in one day, which is Quite a lot. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I've, I've, uh, when I've been in teen, I normally go for a run and I, it always strikes me as I'm running across the lake, you know, logically, you know, it's completely safe because I can see other people in front of me, but you can't help thinking there's a load of water uh, beneath <laughs> you there. Um, but that's really interesting to hear about the active and the message you're saying there about how popular ski touring and cross country skiing uh, has been mm -hmm. is consistent with everything that we've heard across um, the course of uh, this winter contributors to the podcast about how shops that have been open have sold out of all of their kit of these type of uh, uh, items. Um, mm -hmm. I wondered what occupancy we, we, we've just had vacances scolaires the French school holidays period, which I think runs over three, maybe four weeks. What, what kind of occupancy levels have you seen in resort relative to what you might normally have? 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're still in French, uh, French holidays. Um, we're currently at 25% uh, occupancy, where normally, without COVID restrictions, we should be between 90 and 95%, uh, according to the right. week. So, of course, uh, economically, it's a disaster. But at least everybody who is out here, the feedback that we get from our guests is very positive. I mean, everybody's happy to enjoy the mountains, get some fresh air, enjoy the sun, enjoy the different activities and get some takeaway fondue, etc. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, everybody's really happy. Um, so at least at least that's very good. Uh, but again, economically, it's very difficult. <laughs> For sure. Now, I know that, you know, Teen is a very international resort. I think, well, you mentioned to me earlier in the green room that normally 55% of your market would be uh, international with half of those coming from the UK. So the French market is typically a minority for you, but obviously this year it's been 100% uh, French. Another thing I noticed in this survey uh, as well, which was relating to the Christmas period, was uh, they asked people how many people had gone to the mountains for the first time. And I think the answer was 13% of people. And I wondered if anecdotally, if you have any facts, whether you know, you've know you detected that, because I know French mountains, France Montaigne, have been trying to promote the mountains as a destination. Very safe, so much space, open air, etc. Have you seen new uh, French families come to the mountains in the last few weeks? We have actually now it's not the majority, um, but I'd say it's it's a little bit less than 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 ten percent. Um, they come out for uh, short stays and um, they're they're just trying the mountains where normally they maybe go to the other side of the world for 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 midterm holidays and obviously they can't currently. So yes, we do have had a little bit of recruitment, I'd call it, of new guests um but then it's nothing again compared to uh, normal times where we would have those numbers up to about 35 percent yeah and you know we perhaps don't need to go on about it but it's hugely frustrating that the uh, the lifts have not been able to open mm -hmm. because i know that so many measures you know were put in place and uh, to ensure the safety and i think switzerland has proven that it's uh, possible to run the lifts uh, safe, safely with uh, other measures uh, in place. However, you mentioned that you uh, previously, your last time uh, ski, uh, skiing was in July. And I guess one of the big advantages that Teen has over other resorts is the glacier and the opportunity for summer skiing. You'll be one of the French resorts that sees people skiing again first. I think last week, uh, Teen announced the dates for the, the opening dates for summer skiing on the glacier. I can't remember what they are off the top of my head. It would be good if you could just uh, remind me and maybe let us know what you're kind of expecting for the summer in terms of operations. Yeah, of course. Um, indeed, the Grand Mott Glacier will open on the 19th of June. Um, so if you're allowed to travel and if you're eager to get some turns in, uh, it's from the 19th of June right till the end of July. Well, according to the conditions, really, we'll see when we'll up until when we can, uh, when we can uh, um, keep the glacier open. Um, now, we're also looking in opportunities for the end of the season, if ever. Um, I mean, they might not apply to British guests, but if ever there's an opportunity to open the lifts before the end of the season and even going on in May and June, 
um, we're, we're we're still keeping that option open because we've also right. Okay, opened- that's interesting. And mm-hmm. so you, you know, you still retain some optimism that there might be the opportunity to uh, to open lifts. Let's say prior to your official end of the season, which is probably uh, kind of early May or something like that. Yeah, yeah, we're supposed to shut on the 7th of May. Um, now, last night, our Prime Minister, uh, Monsieur Castex, he actually, um, well, sort of um, broke down all our hopes for for an opening for the end of the season, um, as as uh, he thinks there's a, actually a third, the biggest, uh, the biggest third wave coming up in the next coming couple of weeks. Um, but then maybe there's still an opportunity because we're no longer in holiday period. So maybe they'll let us open the lifts um, for the end of the season if there's if there's an opportunity we will open so keep your eyes uh, keep your eyes on the website and on our on our facebook um if uh, if ever you want to come out um also there's an opportunity for professional skiers and athletes uh during may and june um who might have to go to the other side of the world to ski um where obviously that's not very sustainable so we're also looking into opportunities to open um well in in periods where we wouldn't necessarily open uh, again obviously if the situation lets us now summer Last summer, so summer summer 2020 was uh, was a really good summer. Um, we've never seen so many people before in resort, and team is already quite heaving over summer. Um, so we can only think that summer 21 will uh, look similar. Now we've obviously have had the experience of welcoming guests with uh, the correct procedures in place, social distancing, or the the, the gel available, uh, cleaning procedures, etc. So we're not worried about about what well, we weren't worried about this winter. So we're not worried about coming summer either, and we're ready to welcome everybody again, whether it's on the glacier or any any of the or the of the other activities. Um, we're 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 ready. We're here. Yeah, good. Well, I mean, that's really interesting. A number number of things that you've uh, uh, said there. I mean, I did see John uh, Jean Castex's uh, statement yesterday, and I had a quick look to see which département are threatened, which and none of them are in the Haute Savoie. It's not the Haute Savoie. Savoie is there, so the main ski resort uh, areas, Um, and. In relation to summer in teen, I've been in teen in the summer a, a couple of times with my family and it's such a brilliant place to go. My kids actually really want to go again because when we went before, they were too young to do lots of the activities because when you stay in resort, you get this card that allows you to do a whole raft of activities. And I think one of them was something like air rifle shooting and the kids were too uh, uh, young to do that. And I don't know if you still have what they call the blob which is where you uh, kind of jump off like a massive diving board onto an inflatable cushion and then bounce someone else off into the lake. Does that still exist? Yeah, um, no, unfortunately not, out of insurance reason. Nobody wanted to insure us anymore. <laughs> oh, that um, one just looked, it looked hilarious, uh, that one. What, a, what, but, about the, what about the slide? Yeah, the water slide. slide. So we've completely renewed our, our, our water base. So there's a couple of new slides and actually accessible for younger kids as well. Um, so, yeah, we're very much looking forward to, to opening that because of COVID. Uh, the works on that um, took a little bit more time than expected. So it's actually brand new and, and there to, uh, to, uh, to be used. Yeah, well, you know, all of those things are great. And the, the fact that you have the lake there is uh, is excellent. One of the things that we were able to do, and it's actually the screensaver, not on this laptop, but the other laptop that we have in the kitchen, which is uh, paddling in a, in a kayak on the lake. You know, it's just such a, a beautiful spot. And I think probably 
they'd be old enough to do uh, stand up paddle boarding. But those are all sort of things that you can do in the uh, summer there. Uh, something yeah. else you mentioned that was interesting was that about international athletes. And I know you said it's more sustainable for them to train in Europe rather than go to the southern hemisphere. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of them, you know, would normally go to New Zealand. But I think that that may not be possible for them to go to New Zealand in relation to quarantine times, uh, etc. And last summer, um, I know that a lot of athletes stayed in Europe, obviously, because it wasn't uh, possible. So that could be that could be an interesting area, because actually, I read it, you mentioned in terms of revenue, uh, and how the resort has suffered through the lack of lift pass sales, etc. But I think I uh, tweeted yesterday something that I had been reading uh, about uh, Zermatt and the amount of money that they charge for um, for the opportunity to practice on the slopes. Interestingly, Graham Bell uh, replied to that tweet uh, saying that it, it, back in the when he when he raced back in the eighties uh, and nineties. They didn't charge at all. You could just go on the glacier and uh, let's see, he said charges for training lanes and Alpine glaciers only came in at the end of his uh, racing career in 1998. But um, is that what you're thinking there? The, the idea that um, races, you know, they pay for a lane or they pay for an area to do downhill practice, for example. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously there goes goes a lot of work into preparing the slopes. So having um, a, a, a small amount towards all of that uh, is is to me only only normal. And if you look at the at the amounts that we're charging, it's only thirteen euros a lane a day. Um, and lift passes are also against reduced prices. So I, I think I think it's uh, it's uh, it's reasonable to to ask a small amount towards that preparation. It sounds it sounds very reasonable. Let me tell you what I read about uh, Zerma. It costs one thousand three hundred ninety Swiss francs per day to hire for downhill race practice, mm -hmm. and nine hundred and fifty Swiss francs uh, a day for a slalom lane in Zerma. Right. So I think you should be putting your prices up. <laughs> or you know <laughs> people should be you know should be going to Teen and then they can have you know all of the other exercise as well. Let's Let move on to the 13 euros is for slalom. Downhill is a little bit more expensive. Than right. OK. And <laughs> um, let's move on to next winter. So hopefully we'll be mm -hmm. able to uh, get to go skiing. And, uh, you know, in our lockdown plan, we're going to know more about travel from the Global Travel Task Force, which is allegedly reporting on the 12th of April with mm -hmm. a view to, uh, you know, travel freeing up from the 17th of May. But thinking ahead to next winter, do you have any insight into into bookings? Are bookings looking like they're um, you know, up year on year? Do you, do you see a sort of pent up demand coming through for next winter? Well, yeah, we're currently up for bookings for next winter, but I guess that's also because lots of people are eager to come to come back out, and they haven't been able to ski for potentially two years in a row now. Um, we're also looking into longer stays. I mean, there's there's a lot of people that want to stay two weeks instead of one week. Um, so, um, and with us proposing the opportunity to to connect into uh, like uh, like uh, the Wi-Fi networking team, people can also work. Uh, a little bit from uh, from from resort. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. And firstly, you mentioned people are looking at longer stays, and there mm -hmm. was some interesting research this week from uh, the Mountain Trade Network uh, from James Gamble that showed that the number of people who are thinking about two week stays for next winter has has increased. So people mm -hmm. wanting to get you know more out of that holiday. And you also mentioned what I would call that workation market, or also in French, mm -hmm. unknown, it's teletravail. I think, isn't it? And that's yeah. an interesting 
interesting uh, idea as well. The idea that uh, you could base yourself out in a resort for a longer period of time. And we've seen some resorts introduce you know, special promotional deals uh, for that. Uh, you know, personally, I'd I'd uh, I'd love to do uh, love to do that, but that might not happen uh, yet. You, you mentioned a couple of tour op- or some properties that uh, you know were being used by some tour operators. Can I just ask specifically who they are who are not coming back for next winter? Um, well, I mean, for example, uh, Snow Chateau or Alpine Elements. Um, yeah. Obviously, they are um, no longer, and well, we'll see how how the situation will will evolve um but yeah so there's um currently we have about uh, about uh, 600 beds that used to be um under tour operator contracts that are no longer um so obviously 600 beds over uh, a season of 2021 weeks guaranteed people in resort that is a lot of people. Okay, well, I mean, that's really interesting, all of that about Teen. And you mentioned tour operators. So I think this seems like a good uh, opportunity to uh, drop in my interview or some of my interview with Joe Ponte, who is the CEO at Hotel Plan. And I'm sure um, many of our listeners will know that Hotel Plan, they own the uh, Ingham Ski, Flexi Ski, Esprit and Ski Total. Now, he came into the job literally two days before they had to cancel their December holidays. He's had a pretty uh, interesting first season in charge. Uh, so I spoke to him about you know how they coped about that season, about uh, what they're reporting a boom in bookings for uh, next season. And you can listen to all of that in the full version of the interview, which uh, is out in a, a special ski podcast episode we released last week. But in this segment, we just spoke about the impact of Brexit on chalets and staffing. There will be some changes, though, I think, for next season. And, you know, COVID is clearly the number one issue uh, the travel industry has had to deal with. We haven't even mentioned what used to be referred to as the elephant in the room, which is <laughs> which is Brexit. Oh. Now, I'm aware that hotel plan, you know, is restructuring. You know, there's been an office move. It's been difficult uh, times. There have been some job cuts as well. But chalets were cut out of the programme very early on, possibly in your first week. I don't know if the decision had been made before then is that are we going to see chalets again within the hotel plan um product and uh you know how much is brexit a part of that yeah brexit you know i i, I joke from time to time that I, I i long for the days when brexit was the biggest issue i was dealing with <laughs> but um yeah obviously brexit has a significant impact on us as a business we have a separate working group within the within our business uh, it's four individuals accountable to our cfo to make sure that we are addressing all of the the regulatory issues the taxation issues the, the labor issues because so it's not just about the labor there's a whole myriad of issues obviously that brings up and i feel that we're well ahead of them and, and planning well for them talking about short-term labor and its impact on our chalet program specifically, it has a significant impact because you know the, the, the chalet model traditionally has been built on uh, British people, as you know, working a season uh, in in our chalets. Um, we uh, we've reduced the chalet program significantly because what we want to do is make sure that we can create something that customers want and that is financially viable for us. So we're going to have around 30 odd chalets this year. I think it's 32. And then we'll be looking, okay, well, what are our our alternatives to staffing them? We need to be able to find either Brits with European passports or EU passports or uh, European citizens. I don't think um, that... 
that a, a British skier will be that concerned in the show if they want that chalet experience if it's going to be staffed by a British person or a French person. So we're looking at all those different labour options, but we're also having a really tight look at the chalet model um, in itself. The chalet model, I think, has traditionally sort of been uh, appealing to people booking short term, booking late, getting a really cheap deal to go skiing. That's not going to be viable for us in the long term. We need to reimagine and rethink what that chalet offering is going to be to make it uh, much more attractive that people want to book that early and make sure that we um, provide an offering and a service proposition that meets their needs and people are willing to pay for because it's something that exceeds what they can get elsewhere. The, the, the main, major part of our program next year will certainly be in those uh, hotels. But I'm confident that with the right planning and the right innovation, we can create a chalet program that is something that in the future we can grow. But we'll see if it works and we'll make the decision at the end of next season. OK, well, that's very encouraging that chalets are going to be back. And I say it's encouraging. I, I say that on the kind of uh, assumption that British uh, skiers do like that chalet holiday concept. Yeah. You know, maybe in a, in a, a kind of post-COVID or, or new normal, they might think differently about it. But clearly the evident challenge is the employing your staff and how you Definitely. deal with the staffing. Is the idea that there could, there could possibly be an exemption for uh, British staff staffing chalets, is that, is that a possibility? Because my understanding is you could advertise that job uh, in the UK, it has to be for like a minimum of eight weeks or something. And if no one applies for it, then you could say, well, actually, this job is exempt and we can employ uh, people from the UK. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure on that particular point. So we are a member of SBIT, the Seasonal Businesses in Travel, a lobbying group who have been lobbying both here and also in, uh, in Europe. And they've been doing a fantastic job of doing so. I'm not holding my breath for any particular labour deal to support seasonal workers. I do, do not think that that's going to be high on the agenda of the UK side Brexit negotiators. You know, they're a big a big driver towards Brexit was being able to take control of our own immigration. So then to have to do a deal on a even work-based immigration, I think it's it seems counterintuitive to the to the reasons that Brexit began. So I'm not holding my breath. I think we will have to look for options to staff, um, any, all staff that we need, not just in the chalets, our reps that we have, it will have to be local. And look, I think that's a real opportunity for us. You know, it's, it's been fantastic having young Brits working in, in, in the resorts, but there's also an opportunity for us to look for local people with a deeper local knowledge of the, not just the mountains, but the towns and the restaurants. So when you're over there, you've got almost like a concierge that you can call and say, which table should I book in this particular restaurant or which run should I head down for this particular challenge? I think there's something really rich that we can unlock there and use this force change as a reason to innovate and come up with something new. I know um, Espit and uh, Charlie Owen uh, from Espit has been on the show before and he's doing an excellent job in terms of uh, lobbying to government, etc. So I hope that that will work. I agree with you. I don't think there's any particular reason that British guests need to have British staff and that uh, those jobs can easily be done by any EU citizens. So let's see how that goes. Certainly we know that chalets are going to be on the cards for next year. Things as they stand look very positive positive for next year that bookings are up so it's great to end on a positive side of things let's hope those strong bookings continue right well that was a uh, great uh, talking to uh, joe and you can listen to that full uh, interview on our ski podcast special let's go back to the mountains we've got a couple of snow reports this week first one is from friend of the show katie who is in uh, layman weir last weekend ski touring and then uh, a new uh, contributor catherine crosby who's out in gestapt so recently I was in Le Menuire in the Three Valleys for just a little taste of what it's like 
to, uh, to be in a ski resort uh, at the moment uh, and just to go ski touring for the day. Um, when I arrived, when we set off up the mountain, you could still see traces of the Sahara sands that had blown in the day before. But it, even though it was snowing and it, uh, there was no visibility, it was pretty much like a, it was pretty warm. And that seems to be the theme at the moment. It's just warm, warm, warm. And then this week it's sun, 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 nine degrees in the mountains. Um, some of the reports saying it's basically weather that should be here in May. Um, and it doesn't look like there's much snow on the horizon. So it's it's spring, spring skiing in February, basically. Um, I'm quite looking forward to doing a bit more, bit more of skiing in this weather. Because um, when you don't get to go out that much on the mountain, you'd rather just have nice weather than being in a whiteout and battling all the elements. And we're not, none of us are getting out that much at the moment. So just to make the most of it and enjoy enjoy a bit of sunshine and spring skiing in February, basically. Thanks, Katie. Now, this came in right at the last minute, but long-term listeners to the show will be delighted to hear Jim, who's reporting from Bulgaria. A warning, this report may upset many listeners. Um, luckily, I live in the Alps. Um, I've had a season of epic touring. Um, I've had more powder days this season than I probably have in my entire life. There's still something missing in my life, and that is chairlifts. So I've flaunted the travel van, and I've flown to Bulgaria. As I was here, and there's a cable car out of Sofia up to a ski area called Vitosha, maybe. The cable car takes 20 minutes, and at the top there's a handful of very slow chairlifts and some unopened drags. Less than half the rooms are closed, and it was getting a bit slushy by two o'clock. The ski boots didn't fit, but let's be honest, before I say anything further, I wouldn't come here on holiday. Uh, I didn't find anything magical or charming, I'm not going to make up something, why I love it. The resort was old and the lifts were uncomfortable, but not since last summer in Leders Alp had I not made it to the top of a mountain under my own steam. Never has being on a lift felt so good. Out of the four runs open, I mainly skied two. I don't know what they were called. One was red, one was black. Both probably could be rated a hard blue, but I didn't care. I was skiing more than one run in a day. I was skiing and it was fun. Loads of fun. I won't forget my wide turns and the lower slopes. My unbelievably, surprisingly sharp higher skis. I'll never forget the chalky turns down the black as I rattled around in my overfit, over two big boots um, while taking in the smog-filled vista of Bulgaria's capital. Um, this isn't really a snow report, Ian. It's just a reminder that if you get to go skiing and when you get the chance to do it again, you're going to love it. Skiing's fun. It's going to be worth the wait. Ian, hello, and uh, this is your update ski report from Stad Sonnenland. Uh, feel slightly guilty that I'm sending it to you standing here by the side of a beautiful white ski slope when um, everybody is sadly unable to join us from the UK. But it is really good to see, and uh, given uh, the fact that Switzerland is open and our ski slopes and came in for quite a lot of uh, difficult uh, comments about that, undoubtedly looking around this morning and visiting the different sort of entries and the different ski areas here, um, the precautions are phenomenal. You can't go anywhere without seeing notices. The ski school in Stars. 
um, snow sports, talking with the director, Jan, this morning. Masks everywhere, sanitizers, uh, roped-off areas, lines, notices. I mean, it is quite unbelievable. And just because you've got all these notices, signs, barriers, uh, roped-off areas... uh, for the entrance to the gondolas, the uh, chairlifts and the ski school, um, it actually makes you really stand back and think, oh, I don't need to, you know, I must be careful where I go. So you can really see how Switzerland has maintained such an incredibly high protocol system here. Uh, regarding the skiing, we have had two weeks of sun, so uh, it's typical spring conditions, uh, beautifully groomed uh, pistes with uh, pretty hard in the mornings, bit icy, and then going into the slush. So no different to normal sort of spring spring ski conditions. I'm looking at an incredibly clear blue sunny sky, birds are tweeting, Numbers on the piece obviously are reduced, but hotels are saying that they're at 91% and the ski school reckon they're probably only down 20 All people, all completely domestic market. Um, and it's really sad not to see the, the British here, but we will see you all back here next winter. Um, and likewise with other nationalities. Uh, there is so much to do here. People are cross-country skiing, ski touring, tobogganing, walking, sledging. I mean, people's mental health and their whole sort of um, psyche is, I just think, completely changed now. So uh, anyway, hope to speak to you again soon and uh, see you all here next winter. Let's stay in Switzerland. I found it very uh, interesting. There was a quote, uh, again, which I tweeted from Switzerland Tourism yesterday talking about how you know they made the right decision to keep the lifts open and we kind of referred to that earlier Uh, martin nidegger is the ceo there we are very uh, grateful i guess in the ski industry that someone has kept the lifts uh, turning and i had a small chance to get out there but charlie reese our roving reporter in switzerland has been uh, lucky enough to ski in a whole number of places and uh, he's just been out in murren and this is his uh, report from murren Hi all, this week I'm in the Bernat Oberland reporting from the pretty mountain town of Murren, part of the ski resort Schilthompis Gloria and more widely the Jungfrau region. Murren is another one of those traffic-free Swiss ski towns along with Sassway and Zermatt, so it's a real break from the hustle and bustle of modern life. To get here you travel up the Lauterbrunn Valley, one of the longest and deepest glacial valleys in Europe, and Murren sits atop of the uh, cliffs with commanding views over a panorama of very special and dramatic alpine scenery. Murren and the Schilthorn were immortalised in the 1969 Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service, in my opinion one of the best Bond films ever made. The revolving restaurant on the Schilthorn, renamed Pitch Gloria for the film, was the uh, high-altitude lair of the criminal mastermind Ernst Lavro Blofeld, and the film was also the first time we saw Bond on skis, featuring two of the most iconic Bond ski scenes ever produced. I'll be heading up to Piz Gloria later to have a look at some of the attractions available to visitors. Whether you're a Bond fan or not, there's plenty to see and do up there. In terms of the resort today, so the Schilthorn Lift Company currently operates 15 lifts, with some investment on the way in the form of the 20XX project, set to be the steepest cable car in the world at 159%. There are 54 kilometres of spacious, well-prepared marked piece, 40 kilometres of red and blue, and 10 kilometres of black. And the runs range from 3,000 metres on the Schilthorn down to 1,600 metres in Murren, so very good vertical metres. 
and Mirren is actually the highest resort town in the Berner Oberland. The season usually runs from December to the middle of April, but they can have snow through to May, and they're very much hoping that's the case this year. Some stats on the snow uh, at the moment. So at the top, there's a base of 2.7 metres, and down in the town, there's also a base of uh, 1.3 metres. Uh, so very good snow conditions here. Uh, the pieces are relatively quiet, considering it's half term, uh, but there are many people out enjoying the conditions nonetheless. Uh, people are obeying the rules that have been well set out by the resort and are constantly monitored, so it feels very safe to be skiing here. In terms of the off-piste, the danger has uh, subsided somewhat since my last report, uh, with the risk being reduced to moderate and the frequency of avalanche-prone locations decreasing by the day, especially on the northern flanks of the Alps where uh, Muren is actually situated. However, if we get um, more snowfall, which is likely to be coming in the next week, I can see the uh, avalanche danger moving up again. So just be wary, uh, keep an eye on the forecast if you are out and about in the Alps. So back to Murren. Uh, Murren is actually very famous for the Kandahar Club, um, and all good things come in threes, as they say. So this is the second thing that Murren is famous for. Murren was first launched as a winter sports location in 1910 by Sir Henry Lunn, and has been popular with British holidaymakers ever since. The Kandahar Club was founded here by Arnold Lunn, Henry's son, and uh, other British skiers in January 1924. And at the time it had the main aim of promoting downhill and slalom skiing. Uh, these disciplines were not officially recognised at the time. Uh, the first Winter Olympics and the FIS only included Nordic events. However, the uh, FIS finally admitted alpine skiing in 1930 uh, due to the campaigning by the Kandahar Club and held the first alpine championships in Murren in 1931 organised by uh, Arnold Lang. The name Kandahar is now evident all over the world from races to challenging ski pistes because of this connection. Thirdly and finally, Murren is uh, most famous for a very unique race, the Inferno. Lang was also part of the first Inferno race held in 1928, where 19 members of the Kandahar Ski Club climbed the Schilthorn to then race the 14 kilometres and 2,000 vertical metres down to Lauterbrunnen. Murren has held the world-famous race nearly every year ever since, and uh, Lum was still racing in the Inferno in 2005 at the age of 90, so a very impressive ski career. You probably also saw Shemi Alcott race the Inferno last year for Ski Sunday. She came second in her class and third overall, but was only 82 hundredths of a second behind the winner. Considering she had two cameras on her, uh, that's a pretty good effort, and perhaps without cameras she could have even won the race. This year's race was due to be the 78th race, but was cancelled due to the pandemic, as I'm sure many of you are aware. Uh, but in its current form, the Inferno attracts 1,800 amateur racers every January from across the globe. And Inferno Week has become an internationally famous festival thanks to the leadership of Kurt Hugler, a former ski racer and local legend who I had the pleasure of meeting last night. So I just uh, skied down black number nine, uh, the steepest black in the whole of the Jungfrau region. An absolutely excellent run. Uh, lovely snow conditions today. And uh, yeah, people are trickling down in ones and twos uh, yeah really good run from here i'm going to head up to uh, big again and then on to uh, piz gloria and the short horn where i'll uh, bring you my next segment of this report so I've now just made it up onto Piz Gloria, the revolving restaurant on the Schilthorn at just under 3,000 metres above sea level, with an absolutely breathtaking view of an awesome panorama of over 200 mountain peaks, including Eiger, Monk and Jungfrau. On a good day, you can see as far as the Black Forest to the north and also the Mont Blanc Massif to the south. 
And the Piz Gloria also holds the Bond World Museum, where you're able to try your skills out of becoming a double-O agent uh, with, with facilities such as a uh, helicopter simulator and also a recreation of the famous uh, bobsleigh run down into Murren. The facilities are quite limited at the moment due to the coronavirus pandemic, but the uh, 007 Walk of Fame is open and you're able to read a bit about the actors and some of the key characters involved in making the stunts and also filming the, uh, the, the Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I'm currently stood just opposite the exit to the Black Slope heading down. Uh, the beginning of the Bond escape scene starts from here and also we're not too far away from the beginning of the Inferno race. Uh, it's definitely something to try once in your life. And uh, to be honest, it's a very steep slope and I think you have to be a pretty good skier just to get down, do the uh, uh, start of the Inferno race, let alone uh, actually do the race itself. But I'm very impressed with Murin with the uh, skiing and the Bond attractions as well as a large variety of sledging and winter walking routes. Uh, there's fun for all the family to enjoy. It's also not too far from the capital, Bern, uh, and within, within easy reach of many other cultural activities to enjoy in both summer and winter. But for now, that's all from uh, Murin and Switzerland. I hope you stay safe wherever you are. And uh, with that, back to Ian in the UK. While out in Murin, Charlie also had the chance to talk to Alan Ramsey about the Shiltorn 20XX project. Uh, so could you give me a bit of background on the 20XX project? Uh, how's it progressing and are there any more investments planned? Yeah, the Shiltorn celebrated being 50 years old are uh, in 2017. And this meant that much of the construction was 50 years old. So then we had to make a decision whether to try and renovate the cable cars and modernise the system or to build a brand new one. The cost of building it new is obviously much higher, but then it will be ready to operate for the next 50 years. So we still plan to start the construction works this year and we should get the final go-ahead from the authorities shortly. First section that will be built is the Stecherberg to Murren section, followed by Murren to Berg, and finally from Berg up to the Schilthorn. The reason it's called Schilthorn Band 20XX is because we're not exactly sure when it's going to be finished, but we would hope to be finished by the winter 2025-26. So that was good. I love uh, uh, Murren. I went out there a couple of uh, years ago uh, and raced in the Inferno, and we're going to be covering a bit more about the Inferno in episode 70. One of the cool things about Murren, Steffi, is they, they have a restaurant there called the Piz Gloria at the Schilthorn, and it's where Blofeld had his had his lair in the Bond movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> and everything there is Bond-related. So when you go in the restaurant, all of the, the saucers and the plates and the teacups all have a little Bond logo uh, printed <laughs> on them. And there's a museum there. And it's just, it's just <laughs> tremendous, tremendous fun. Uh, and listener, I recommend if you haven't seen the ski sequence in on Her Majesty's Secret Service uh, before, you should have a look. And in fact, obviously, I'll drop it into the show notes. Now, um, here's another question. How do you become a peaster? And uh, specifically by this, I mean, how do you join the ski patrol? And by, you know, by that, I mean the people who rescue you if you have an accident on the slopes. Now, I spoke to Tom Greenall, who's one of the few uh, British people to have qualified for this job. And it is so interesting, the conversation we had. I'm also going to release that as a special podcast. He talks about the entire process you have to go through uh, to qualify. The, uh, the keep or the team that run the lifts is generally a completely separate team. 
although you as a pisteur, as a ski patroller, are expected to know how to not just stop a lift, but how to start it and control its speed. And I guess um, a, a part of or a key part of the course is in terms of avalanches, we referred to the snowpack uh, earlier. Often uh, the, the pisteurs, the snow patrol are the first on the scene for trying to find a, uh, a victim. That must be quite a big part of the course. Um, the searching for an avalanche victim, yes. The rest of the snow is a one to three, depending on which course, week course that you do as extra. There is um, snow and weather observer, which is a week course. There is Pista level two, which is two weeks of snow study and one of regulation. And then there is a two week course of artificier, which would be explosives expert. Okay, okay. Tempted but, by that one. I think most people seem to think that that yes, was really appealing. Um, the guys who who drop a, a, a dynamite over the edge of a cornice uh, to yes, uh, start um, avalanches. Um, we had all of that explained to us because we may be called upon to be an aid artificier, um, um, the assistant to the explosive expert, and all the um, rules and regulations because you are the safety backup, you are the eyes, you are the second set of ears, in an explosives procedure and you carry the detonator until it's time to make an explosion but you don't get to play with the toys <laughs> yeah well it's still a pretty responsible job i mean on the podcast before i recall that we've um covered a you know a number of these things uh, there was a program called um a and e featured uh, the ski patrol in uh, val Torrens, which was you know quite dramatized but it was a really interesting insight and then i'll i'll, I'll drop it into the show notes but we also uh um, interviewed some people who did a documentary about pistas in La Clusa, which was really interesting. Mm. Now, you have your qualification uh, now, but I presume this winter you haven't started work. Do you do you have a job confirmed? Would you be working if the lists were open? Um, I do not have a job confirmed. Prasarali have said, we'll get back to you as soon as we're allowed to open, but I'm yeah. more likely to end up next year in... Les Contamines or the Mejere Saint Gervais area. Okay, and when you say more likely, is it, do you have a kind of connection, or they just need more staff? How, how does how does that work out? I've been talking to all of them, and I know that at least three of them didn't hire the two or three, depending on which resort that they needed to fill their number of pistas this year because right. they were hedging their bets on the situation being as it is. Yeah, okay, okay. And, you know, when you do uh, start, let's say, you know, you're in uh, uh, Contamine working there during the winter, my impression is that it's not uh, very good if you're someone who likes to lie in, because it's a pretty early start in the mornings. Is that right? Mm. A regular non-snow safety start would be um, walking out of the for want of a better word, the locker room to yeah. get on the lift at, in Contamine, it would normally be eight o'clock in the morning um, uh, on a normal non-snow safety morning. On a snow yeah. safety morning, you will be meeting your colleagues at five to ride up on a snowmobile or a snowcat. 
but unfortunately, no um, no job for this season. Do you think there's any chance you'll work this season at all? Or do you think um, that this season is you know towards the very end of the season, but more of the yes, we'd like you for next season. We want you to help us shut down the resort, so you know what where things are to set it up the next autumn. You know, it's a really interesting story, uh, Tom, and I think uh, there'll be a lot of people out there who will be tempted by that idea of becoming, uh, you know, a ski patroller, uh, etc. But, uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, when we go out to uh, Contamine or Majev, uh, you know, next season, we... Maybe maybe we won't hope that we'll see you because if we see you, then that means that we're probably in trouble. But hopefully you'll be out there, um, you know, looking after us and keeping the uh, piece in shape. So Tom uh, is one of the few British people who's actually qualified to be a, a piece in in France. Uh, Steffi, in, in team, do you have anyone on the on the piste, on the snow patrol uh, team who is not French? We do indeed. We, uh, we've got our own Tom uh, in the name of Pete Richmond, <laughs> who is very British. Uh, he's been out here for years and he, uh, he, he is a ski patroller as well. Right. OK. And so he's on the, the kind of, I want to say the A&E t- uh, team, uh, the people who, who rescue people, um, skiing the blood wagons around, etc. Yeah, absolutely. And they also obviously secure all the slopes in the morning. They do the avalanche clearing. and uh, Yeah. Um, and yeah and any other nationalities apart from french yeah there's a, we've got an australian guy as well uh, but he's been in france for years and years and years um uh, and he's done the same thing they they both have their french diploma of uh, of ski patrol yeah okay well that's really interesting well uh, as i say i recommend that you uh, listener you have a listen to that podcast when i release it which probably be next week uh, maybe the one after so uh, this was meant to happen earlier in the show, but for technical reasons, I didn't manage to speak to him earlier. Uh, but I did have a chat with Stephen Morgan, who's MD at Raccoon Events, and they're organisers of the new National Snow Show coming up in October. I'm very interested in this show because, you know, there's clearly lots of pent-up demand for skiing. And I interviewed uh, Joe Ponte from Hotel Plan, which is also in this uh, particular episode of the podcast. And he was saying to me, you know, anecdotally, there's people booking two holidays for next winter, not just one, because they've missed out on, uh, you know, one or maybe two seasons now. And it feels to me that this is a really good time to bring a new snow show back to the public. That I'm really interested in, but I'm also interested. Why why did you choose Birmingham rather than London? Because historically there's there's sort of always been a show in, in London. Yeah, no, that's um, a very good question. Uh, thank you for bringing it up. So, yeah, I suppose I need to talk a little bit about the show. So the show is built on, on three strategic pillars. So we've got sustainability, which you'll be very pleased to hear about, Ian, and it's been woven yep. into there, accessibility and participation and retail. But if we were to kind of distill the whole uh, show vision down and the overarching vision, it's to get more people into the industry um, and sharing the passion that we all have for snow sports, whatever your discipline might be. So Birmingham. Um, Birmingham is located centrally to the UK. So just geographically, it makes it more accessible to, to more of the UK. We're holding the show in the National Exhibition Centre. So it is a space that is specifically designed for large scale consumer events, which again, comes in handy for what we're trying to do here. Um, And 
in general, the the kind of associated costs with um, with being in Birmingham for both exhibitors and visitors are are less when you compare them to like the London London prices. So um, that helps us build on the the second pillar, which again is that accessibility and participation and getting more people through the door and therefore into the industry, which is what we want to do. Um, and lastly, it does feel like there's a sense of snow sports going back to its roots when we, we're taking it back to Birmingham. So, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons there for, for Birmingham being the key. You know, listeners to the show who have been uh, in the industry for a while will certainly be aware there used to be a regular show in Birmingham every year. And actually, you know, when I first started getting involved with natives, you know, we had a show in Manchester, Southampton, Brighton, uh, Birmingham, Glasgow and London. But what I found from Birmingham when we had stands in Birmingham is that, yeah, anecdotally I can't kind of prove it I felt that the type of people who turned up to Birmingham tended to be I don't know if this makes sense but real skiers now <laughs> there's a sense that in London some people are just using the ski show as you know an activity a way of passing some time uh, with the kids and you know that maybe that doesn't you know invalidate them turning up but the type of clientele that we had coming through the doors at the Birmingham show were much more committed. And maybe that's a factor. No, definitely. And I think you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. Being in, in you know, potentially maybe a Battersea Park setting, something like that, you would get what we kind of call organic footfall. So as you just said, that's people on half term with the kids, having a look to see what, you know, what we can do and, and coming through the show because it's there and it's happening, which, again, is not a bad thing. You know, you can then hopefully therefore encourage those people to look at snow sports and see what's going on and think yeah I want to be a part of this but returning to Birmingham and the National Ent uh, National Exhibition Centre sorry is um, people have a uh, you know they've invested their time to go there so yes I, I, I think you're right we will we will definitely get the core skiers and snowboarders coming there but as I said part of the the second pillar of the show is to is to really make it accessible and get more people into the industry yeah well I mean certainly access you know is very good there was always a question mark as to you know how easy or not Battersea was to uh, to get to um, whereas the NEC is very easy to get to um, I know sustainability is a key theme for the show and, and hopefully I'll be able to play a part uh, in that with my ski flight free uh, hat on um, I wondered if we could talk about diversity and representation, which you, you mentioned. I'm sure um, many of our viewers, uh, listeners will have uh, watched uh, Ski Sunday. Now, that, they prompted a lot of discussion uh, recently after a feature they had on, on diversity in their last episode. And, you know, it's really interesting on some of the uh, chat forums and different areas I follow um, how that conversation can be kind of polarised so quickly. Um, I know it's a key issue for the show because you've got Mount Noir who are going to be there. We, we uh, or I interviewed them in an interview in episode 61. Um, and Benjamin Alexander, who I interviewed uh, as well, he's uh, looking to get to the Olympics uh, as well. They're all part of the lineup. Um, could you tell us why you've been so proactive in that area? I mean, the goal, the goal of the show is to represent, engage and make the whole industry more accessible. Again, going back to that second pillar, which I keep banging on about. Um, and we're going to do this through our marketing, our content at the event and our ambassador program, which all of these guys are a part of who you just mentioned before. You know, Mount Noir, um, Benjamin Alexander and 
Urban Shredders, but the tagline for the show is the mountains are ours. And that is all of ours, no matter background, ethnic origin, gender, anything. If we go back to that main vision, which is getting more people into the industry, we need to open up the doors for everyone. And so making sure that we can include and make it just something that everyone feels they can be a part of if they want to be is, is just something that we should do. It's the right thing to do. And it's something that um, Raccoon Events in general is 100% behind on every single one of their events anyway. Well, you know, I'm really looking forward uh, to the show. Uh, I mean, I think, as I suggested earlier, because we've had this kind of blank season during 2020 and, you know, a whole number of people didn't ski last season because they were due to go at Easter, haven't skied uh, this season. Mm -hmm. There is this massive pent up demand. And I think that that will see a lot of people uh, going. But could you just uh, remind uh, me and remind uh, our listeners, uh, what are the dates of the show? Yeah, sure. So the dates are the 23rd and 24th of October. So that's a Saturday and Sunday. Um, on the Saturday night, we've also got the Good Vibes Apre party, but that's a bit of a sneak preview for you because that's not been released yet, but that will be released. And people right, will okay. be able to... Exclusive for the podcast. Yeah, like Exclusive it. <laughs> for the podcast. And yeah, you will be able to turn up with that. We've got uh, Red Bull DJs, we've got After Jam involved with it. We'll have some live music. And I dare say that you will see a lot of the um, athletes, Olympians and celebs mulling around as and we've deliberately kept the cost of the ticket to be fair to a maximum of 10 pound even though um under 16s uh will go free as well to encourage as many people as possible to come along get involved with the industry have a great day out and be inspired by snow sports great okay well 23rd and 24th of october at the birmingham nec the uh, the national snow show i'm looking forward to it and thanks for giving us your time today steve i look forward to uh, to seeing you then and finding out more about it in the interim and uh, and releasing that exclusive to the world <laughs> nice one absolute pleasure thanks again uh, now i'd like to thank everybody who's contacted us since uh, our last episode either via email or, or social media um, quite a few of you have very kindly uh, bought me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash ski podcast. Uh, Janet Barnett or Barnett says, thanks again for continuing to keep us informed and entertained on all things skiing. Uh, Johnny Goldsborough, long term listener. Thanks for keeping the ski vibe going in challenging times. And uh, Nikki says, you're keeping me going whilst working from home. Uh, hopefully, Nikki, you'll still listen to us uh, when you're no longer working from home. And Pete says, I've been a listener since the beginning. So that is great, Pete, because that's been over three years now, coming up for three and a half years. You've probably listened to all uh, 100 plus uh, episodes. A great podcast, entertaining and informative. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, I'd also like to thank Richard S., for buying me a coffee as well so thanks for all of those guys if you do enjoy the podcast you're very welcome to uh to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast now johnny g also asked a question which i think is pretty difficult to uh answer he said um could you tell us something about your least favorite ski resorts now, I think that is a super difficult question to answer. Um, I think Fat Face used to make a sweatshirt uh, back in the day that said, better a bad day on the mountain than a good day in the office. Steffi, are you, do you have any least favourite ski resorts? I mean, I know what your favourite one is, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, I'm not very objective. Um, but let me just say that it's, it's always... Uh, um, 
a, uh, an amazing experience to go and ski elsewhere, uh, to see what other resorts put up, uh, to enjoy some tree rides, because obviously we do not have many trees over here. Um, yeah. to see um, um, what events they put up, what animations. And I, I mean, obviously we've got very conditions, uh, very good conditions, we're very high up. So I'd say that lower resorts, obviously, when you come towards spring, um, I mean, I'm not a world champion skier, so skiing in, in, in very um, slushy spring snow um, is difficult for me. So, I mean, I would avoid those over spring, but if not, they are fantastic when the conditions are great. So, yeah, that's a very diplomatic uh, answer. I mean, I was thinking about this and I was, you know, what are my least favorite ski resorts? And, you know, I just love being in the mountains. I've had least favorite days in lots of different mm -hmm. ski resorts when the weather is crappy or if it's raining. Actually, I need to edit that bit out because <laughs> I'm not going to swear in this podcast. We're getting explicit uh, rating. But, um, yeah, you know, when the weather hasn't been uh, as good or something like that. But, um, you know, generally, I'm grateful for any time I ever get to spend uh, in the mountains. And, uh, you know, particularly after the season we've just had where that hasn't really been possible. So, uh, you know, any time in the mountains, I'm sorry, uh, Johnny, can't can't give you a least favourite ski resort there. Right. So I think we're going to wrap up uh, on that for this uh, episode. Um, coming up uh, down the track, while well, I've got an interview with Martin Bell, uh, Graham Bell's brother and very successful Olympic skier from the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, Charlie is going to be reporting from Murren specifically about the Inferno. And uh, also we have uh, that ski podcast special about from Tom Greenle about how to qualify as a uh, pista coming up. You can follow me uh, at Skipedia on Twitter and Facebook and the show at the Ski Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any uh, episodes at all. I'd like to thank my guest today, uh, Steffi. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Ian. It's been fantastic to to have this conversation with you. And I uh, I hope, obviously, that we'll, uh, we'll have some better times ahead. Yeah, well, maybe we can join you in the summer as well. I'd also like to thank Switzerland Tourism for their support. And finally, thank you, listener, for listening. So until next time, goodbye. Hi there, listener. Ian here. I just wanted to let you know that you can now support the Ski Podcast at buymeacoffee.com. Researching, recording, editing and publishing the pod takes up a lot of my time. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoy it. You know, I love talking with people about skiing. But if you do enjoy listening to the podcast and you'd like to support us, then you can literally buy me a coffee, or in my case it would be a cup of tea, but the idea is the same. So just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thanks very much.